0: Thank you, Caleb. If you want to open up your worship booklet, there should be community news and information found inside. I just want to highlight one thing um, that's not on there, and that is that at New City, we try to keep a rhythm of taking the first week of the month off of activities. We don't usually meet for Rooted Youth Group and other things the first week of the month, and then we do the rest of the weeks. But because of this month and a holiday coming, Rooted is meeting tonight, Okay, so that's our ministry to the elementary age or so children. Um, so Rooted is on tonight. Youth group is not. Youth group will stick with the, the schedule of first, month ca- or first week canceled, meet the rest. So Rooted is on tonight. The second announcement uh, should be an a, a individual little sheet inside there that says Instant Church Directory. So if you could do two things for me, please pull that out and also pull out your cell phone. We use this, um, and it's really helpful. Instant church directory is exactly what it sounds like. It is a church directory, but it's all electronic. It's found on an app, and increasingly, the staff and elder team wants to use that to pray for you because it allows us to see your faces. It allows us to see all the names of your children um, and all of those things. And so what we're going to do now is get you signed up on it. So if you pull out your phone, you can either go to... Um, InstantChurchDirectory.com, or scan the QR code. The QR code will take you to the App Store where you can download the app. Go ahead and go for it. Instant Church Directory is really helpful. You'll you can put in whatever information you desire. You can pick and choose what is shown, what we see. Um, I've chosen to put all my children and their birth dates, our anniversary, and there's a picture of us on there. But it's really helpful to see as we think about you and pray for you. So if you're, if you're there, you'll just click on the Create Login button. And here's what's important. You'll use the email address that New City has for you. Okay, so whatever email you get our community e-news, whatever email address that you receive that at, and of course you read it every week because those are important, um, the community e-news, whatever email that is, put that in. To your login button, click login or click uh, create a password. You'll have to retype the password and then request login. How are we doing? I'm seeing some nods—that's encouraging. What you're doing there? Once you make a password and then click request login, you will receive an email at a later time. Uh, I think it, it, it will be from service at instant church directory. Um, That's how you'll finish your registration and then upload a photo and all those things. That is because Rebecca, our administrator, has to okay you. That that guards the instant church directory from any outside strangers and weirdos getting in. Um, And so she has to okay you. But that's why we're using your email that you already have on file with New City. So um, again, later you'll receive that confirmation email. You'll click that to verify the email Uh, or verify your instant church directory, and then you can customize as you see fit. But again, we use this. We're going to use it increasingly. So we want you on here so we can see you and pray for you, pray with specificity for each of your children, um, and then we can also know whatever you tell us. Okay? If you have any questions, contact Rebecca. Rebecca's information is at the bottom of that instant church directory online sheet, Rebecca at rebeccaatnewcityindy.org. If you have any questions... So again, we we hope and desire that all regular attendees and and, and all members of New City are on this. So we have you in one spot. We can see you, pray for you, and get information as needed from you. Okay? We good? If you open up your um, community news and information there, the sermon text you'll find located, John chapter 15 on the left side. We've been going through a series in John 15 looking at abiding in Christ. There's a bolded part, which is just verses 12 through 17. That will be the topic of our study. I'm going to ask Megan Hoppy to come. She is going to read that passage for us, just the bold part. So let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word from John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. And appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Many of you know this, um, but... Just in case my family thought we would get a dog, we thought um, with four children, six and under, one of them being a four-month-old having recently moved into a new house and busy schedules, it would be wise to get a dog, a puppy. We went with the name Albus from one of my favorite series, the Harry Potter story, the, the Harry Potter series. Albus, Dumbledog. Um, and so we're excited. He's, he is great, but there was a runner-up for his name. We were almost going to go with Ryle. Named after J.C. Ryle, the 19th century Anglican bishop, and he had this insightful, well, he's had a lot of insightful thoughts, but this one was insightful and connected to what we're reading, so I thought I would read you uh, this quote. J.C. Ryle, 1800s, Anglican bishop says this, this world is full of sorrow because it's full of sin. It can be a dark place, it is a lonely place, and it can be a disappointing place the brightest sunbeam in it is a friend. Friendship halves our troubles and doubles our joys. I've at least experientially known the truth of what Ryle is getting at there. This world can be lonely, it can be dark, it can be a trying world, it can be a troubling world. And one of the, the brightest things amongst The numerous bright and glorious things in creation. One of the brightest sunbeams in our world is that of a friend. Uh, A friend cuts our troubles in half and doubles our joys. And what's troubling is how few Westerners and Americans specifically know that truth. There's a study done, it was published in 2006, but it had been done uh, decades before. This showed that in 1985, 1985, the average American had about three friends. A friend was defined as one they were close to, could confide in, and share important things in life with. Okay, 1985, the average American, three friends. Now, by 2004, that's not even 20 years later. By 2004, it was estimated that one in four Americans had no friends. 25% of Americans had no one who they, by the definition, were close to, could confide in, and share the important things in life with. That was 2004. I wonder what that number is now since 2007 and onward with the proliferation of these things called smartphones in my pocket. And Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and scroll, scroll, scroll. I wonder if that's even more. But let's assume 25% is correct. That's one in four people do not know friendship. Which cuts your troubles in half and doubles your joy. Is one of the brightest sunbeams in our day and age today. I'm not saying that to, to depress you. I'm saying it because... Although he's speaking of mutual friendship between people, we are looking at a text where Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus, calls you his friend. But also maybe to challenge us with the reality that friendship's kind of a big deal. C.S. Lewis captured this really well in speaking about the love of friendship or friendship love. He says, to the ancients, friendship seem to be the happiest and most fully human of all loves. The crown of life and the school of virtue. The modern world, in comparison, ignores it. C.S. Lewis was one, a scholar in the ancients, and he knew very well how they viewed friendship, how Jesus and his followers viewed friendship, how the ancient Near East viewed friendship, and it was high. It was vital. It was important. It was the brightest sunbeam in our dark world. We're going to explore this morning the truly amazing fact that we are Jesus' friends. He has befriended us and we know him. And he's going to encourage us this morning as what his friends ought to be like in this world. What are we to be first? But then what are we to do? What does it look like to be a friend of Jesus in this world? And so if I had to boil it down to one main point, it's in bright red in the insert there. That Jesus calls us to abide in him, so our love will be expansive, growing. We've been exploring this truth of abiding in Jesus, and he uses the image of a vine, a grapevine in the Middle East, that Jesus is the vine, and we are the small branches connected to the vine that bear fruit. And the fruit we bear is Jesus' type of fruit. We get our life from the vine... And Jesus is reminding us that a part of that abiding in Jesus and why he wants us to is that as we draw life from the vine, as we abide in Jesus, our love grows and we're able to show the love of Jesus to one another. So our love will be expansive. So to explore this paragraph, verses 12 through 17, we're going to do so in three points or three statements. The first one is just from verses 12 and 13, that Jesus calls believers to love one another. Believers are called to love one another. Notice verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. We didn't plan it this way, but just in the the timing of the Heidelberg Catechism, which we used as our confession of faith today, we studied the uh, the two great commandments. Jesus asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, the first is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it. Love our neighbor as ourself. Jesus seems to be adding something here. Something maybe even more beautiful. More challenging for us. Fellow branches to love one another. You notice he doesn't just say love one another as yourself. Jesus says, no, no, no. We are to love one another as he loves us. There are ways in which I love myself. And I can love you the way I love myself, but Jesus is adding a little extra flavor to it. Jesus loves me greater than I love myself, more amazingly, more selflessly than I love myself. And it's that type of love we're to have for one another because that's how he loves us. Notice, as I have loved you, you love one another. So, how has Jesus loved us? Well, we could spend the rest of the morning, the rest of the day, exploring all the ways in which Jesus loves us, but Verse 13 tells us one way, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Again, Jesus is telling his followers, go love one another that way, but he's telling them to do that because that's how Jesus loves us. Jesus loved you, brother and sister, friend of Jesus, so much that he died for you. The king of the universe that we sang to and sang about. The one who was strong and kind, willingly laid down his life, suffered a death of agony and pain as a criminal, naked on a cross, absorbing the wrath of God and, and justifying sinners like you and me. That's the love with which he loved us. It was sacrificial, selfless. And he's saying, as I love you, love one another sacrificially. Self-sacrificially. I love that Jesus was also very patient. We're in the context of Jesus going away. He's about to die and rise and, and, and ascend to the Father. And these are the last words He's giving to these disciples to encourage them to keep on keeping on. And over and over again, we see Jesus' patience. Good old Pete. Peter saying things and putting his foot in his mouth. Jesus is only... Spoke to one of his disciples this way by telling Peter to get behind me, Satan. Jesus is washing the feet, the feet of his disciples. And Jesus, Peter's like, no, 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 there's no way you will touch my feet. Jesus says, if I, can, if I don't wash you, you can't be clean. Peter's like, okay, wash all of me. And Jesus like, no, 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 you're not getting it. You're already clean. I just need to wash your feet. Peter kept saying the wrong things. And yet Jesus was so patient with Peter, doubting Thomas, He was patient. His love was self-sacrificial. His love was patient. But one of the most clear ways we see the way that Jesus loves us is in Romans 5. This is just a personal favorite of mine. So I put it in your insert on the right side there. Unfortunately, I did copy and paste just a hair too late. Verse 5 should have also been in there. Verse 5 says that this is how the love of God has shown into our hearts. What is the love of God and how is it shown into our hearts? Now let me begin reading. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified, declared righteous by His blood, much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by His life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That's the love of Jesus for us. Sacrificial, unbreakable, patient, glorious. And the beauty is here that Jesus is saying, if that's, Paul is writing about Jesus in Romans 5, if that is how Jesus loved us back then when we were rebels and God-haters and in our sin, weak, how much more, because of the blood of Jesus, we've now been made family members of God and friends of God, how much more will Jesus care for us now? He's got you. He loved us like that when we were enemies of God. We're now friends seated at the very table of the king. How much more is he going to love us and care for us and be about our good now that we're reconciled? And Jesus is saying that that's the type of love with which I've loved you. Now go love one another that way. Just from the outset here, what is a a way in which we take this to ourselves? I think it's first by knowing and realizing that you are not here for you. You don't exist for you and your own alone. It's kind of confusing. You're not here for you. Jesus came and made a way for us to know Him and to be His friends and to be loved by Him so that we will love one another with a self-sacrificial, patient love to one another. We exist and we're created for one another to show the love that we've known in Jesus. But... I think the reason why I came to this realization last week, I had the privilege of preaching last week, just on love, it's kind of squishy, it's kind of weird, it's hard, it's an idea that we're trying to grasp, and it's something we're supposed to know, but it's hard to know sometimes. I think it's partly because of the way we use love. In one breath, I can say, I love my wife, I love baseball, I love food, I love my kids. And those are totally different. The way I actually feel about those things, the way I interact with those different things are vastly different. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love baseball. I love food. I love other things, but those are just the examples that keep coming to my mind. I think I'm hungry. But those are very different types of love. So it's squishy. Love one another. How? Like, which one? And uh and another way, just a, a compounded difficulty that we have in our day and age is the, the Hollywood version of love. We see it in movies all the time. We see it in rom-coms. We see it on the, the Hallmark Channel that love is actually just a warm, fuzzy feeling that you get. It's an uncontrolled emotion when you've found the one. You're like, oh, love. And so if we fall into that trap, then we have Jesus commanding us to do something that's an emotion and uncontrolled. How can He do that? We can do it because the Bible has no understanding of Hollywood love. Love is a choice. Love begins in the heart, which is just the seat of the emotion, the seat of our actions and wills and affections. If you're a believer today, you know something of the love of Jesus. Whether it's even small, just a glimpse of it. You you know the love of Christ. And Jesus is saying, love one another in that way. Our friend... Dr. John Piper has uh, defined love in a helpful way. I like it because it serves my purposes, so that's always helpful. But it's also connected with John 15. Piper defines love as this. He says, love is the overflow of joy in God that meets the needs of others. Love, first and foremost, is a joy thing. It's a joy in God that oozes over, bubbles over, and meets the needs of others. Of others, And why I like that is because it's right in the context of John 15. Verse 11. Right before where Megan began reading. These things I have spoken to you, Jesus says, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Now, verse 12, go love one another. A joy in God. Our joy being full in our Savior and in our Creator. We can't help but just overflow in loving one another. Jesus has loved us, so love one another. Another application point of thought here, and I feel like I'm just beating the same drum, largely because we've just come out of a four-part series on the church, and we've talked community, community, be about church, make Sunday morning a priority. You were made for it, you were created for it. So what, what does this have to do with this? Well, we need one another, Verse 12 says, This is my commandment. This is the commandment of Jesus on your life now that you love one another as I have loved you. Well, what does one another necessitate? Others. To one another, you have to have others. You were created to be in community, to have friends. Your Christian walk is not an island by yourself. You and the the Bible and the Holy Spirit on your bed and that's that's all you need to know Jesus. All of the New Testament use, almost all of them are plural. Y'all, we need one another. Dietrich Bonhoeffer actually in writing on the importance of friendship and why you need community, why you need other brothers and sisters in your life says this, Christians need other Christians because often the Christ in them is greater than the Christ in me. We can't see our own sins sometimes. We're blind by the stuff in our lives. Who in the world do you think, do I think that I'm wise enough by myself to decide things? We we need friends, we need other people, we need community to help us, to spur us on, to encourage us, to hold fast to Jesus. And Jesus is also, in John 15, talking about branch love. Love one another, other branches. This has implications for the community that God has called us to be a part of. There could certainly be a love that we have for unbelievers. A love and care that we have in our world out there, making beautiful things, stewarding creation. But this is talking about in, in the in-house love. This is talking about how we are to be with those in this room and in first service. Those with whom you do, you're doing life. Christian, loving one Another. That was the first point. Believers are called to love one another. Secondly, believers are privileged friends of Christ. Believers are privileged friends of Christ. I get this from verses 14 and 15. You'll notice, you are my friends, Jesus says. If you do what I command you. As I've already mentioned, friendship is a big deal in the ancient world. So when Jesus uses that word friend, it means something. So, I'm about his own, my friends. Let me use a pop culture reference to see if you guys can pick up what I'm laying down. Nod your head or just give me a a sneaky thumbs up because you're probably too shy to raise your hand. But do you know where this comes from? My grandfather was a fire and brimstone preacher. Preacher, preacher. (laughs) Hands going up everywhere. That's a line from Aaron Burr in the, the, the Broadway musical Hamilton. The song Wait For It is actually one of my favorites. Um, largely because he's referencing his grandfather. Does everybody know who's Aaron Burr, the third uh, vice president of the United States? Do you know what his grandfather was? Who? Jonathan Edwards. The great Puritan and revival preacher, Jonathan Edwards, had a daughter, Esther Edwards Burr. Aaron Burr's mom. And she, in writing a letter to a friend, said this. Nothing is more refreshing to the soul except communication with God himself than the company and society of a friend. Communication with God is certainly most refreshing for the soul, but next to that, there is nothing better for our souls than company of a friend. A friend. There's implications, you know, between us and the need of friends in our lives. But this is specifically talking about God Himself. Jesus' words here, we get both of Esther Edwards' burr, her words here. I almost said burr, sir. Um, We get in relationship with Jesus a friend and communication with God Himself. The best of both worlds. We should absolutely pursue mutual relationships in our lives. But we're talking about friendship with Jesus. There's nothing more sweet, more refreshing for the soul. In the ancient times, which C.S. Lewis kind of talked about when I began my sermon. You can read more about it in Lewis's work. But he is speaking of, of mutual friendship in the ancient world. There were different types of friendships, but mutual friendship. And in a friendship relationship in the ancient world, you would often, uh, it would involve sharing of confidences, sharing of your secrets, everything. The sharing of possessions and property. You need something? I got you. Gladly give you something. Even if it inconveniences me. Loyalty to one another. And in extreme cases, laying your life down for one another. And I think the temptation for us is when we're talking about love. God loves you. Jesus loves you. It's just washing over you right now, like, huh? Duh. Christiany words, Christiany words, Christiany words. Feel this though. You have just been, Jesus has just said to you that you have a close and personal relationship with the one who is also eternal, omnipotent creator. I think you guys are grasping it and feeling it a little bit more. First service struggled a little bit. It was a little early, so I read from the Colossians 1, verses 15 and following on. Jesus being the very image of God, the beginning of history. In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And he looks at you says, I love you. I like you. I'm your friend. I've got you. What Jesus does in verse 15, or 14 and 15, is give us a couple marks of friendship with Jesus. What does it mean to be a friend of Jesus? What's he calling us to be and to do? Verse 14 is the first one. It's keeping his commandments. You are my friends if you do what I command you. One, it's kind of awkward if I were to say that to you. Luke is like, uh, you can be my friend, buddy, but you've got to do everything I say weird. But it makes perfect sense if the one befriending us and saying he is our friend is the one who created truth and beauty. And if his commands are always good, safe, and sure. They don't bend to us. We bend to them. It makes total sense for Jesus to say, obey me. Because we were created for it. In our obedience to the one who created the world and saves us is life and safety and comfort. It would be unloving if Jesus didn't say, obey me. Keep my commandments. This might be strong, but we cannot be friends with Jesus unless we have a life inclined toward his commands. What we often want, and I've been guilty of this during seasons of my life, is we want Jesus to be a friend on our terms. You can come in when I'm ready, when I'm in need, come on in, help me out, and then get out. Get back over into the the corner of obscurity, and I'll call on you when I'm in my next tragedy or trial, or maybe next Sunday morning at 10.45. Jesus is calling us and saying that that's not how friendship works, first of all, but you're just missing the whole point. Forgiveness, yes, give me that. Blessing, yes. I'll take that from you, Jesus. Forgiven, free, and restored in our confession of sin and declaration of pardon. Amen. But then Jesus says, I want exclusive loyalty in you to do what I say. You're like, nope. My, my heart feels that. We're prone to wander. We're Prone to kick at that. Anti-authority is like in our blood in some way. But this is what we were created for and this is life. This is the creator saying, you're my friend. Here's how you know you're my friend. You obey what I say. We're not obeying to become a friend of Jesus, but because we're a friend, we obey. We keep his commandments to the best of our ability. Second, Mark of a friend of Jesus is verse 15. What's he talking about with all that? The, no longer knowing what the, the master is doing. Well, we understand God and his purposes. I think that's what Jesus is getting at. We are a friend of Jesus because we understand God and his purposes as revealed in Scripture. Deuteronomy 29.29 29 is one of my favorite verses that says the secret things belong to God. But the things revealed belong. We own in our children. well, They belong to us and to our children. There's certainly mystery with God. There are certainly things we will not know this side of, of glory. But Jesus is saying, my friends are my friends because I've told them all the things. They've got the insider secrets. They know where we came from, where we're headed, what's wrong with the world, what to do about it. And in Jesus is salvation alone. Where are we to be saved? He's told us everything we need to know for salvation and godliness and life. Done that as our friend. The master-servant relationship is not like that. The employer employee relationship is not like that. The friendship relationship is. And the implication for us, especially since we're rolling out the, the new city Regula, our, our rule for life, desiring us to be people of habits of grace, Bible reading and prayer, silence and solitude. The implication here is that if Jesus is made to, known to us everything the Father has told him, do we know him? Do we know the things? He's revealed them to us. Do we read the Scriptures? The Word of God? Do we memorize this and drive it deep down into our souls so that when temptation comes, we can fight with the sword? Do we know what Jesus has revealed? This is a great privilege to read this and know it and to memorize it and spend the rest of your days meditating on the Word of God because we will never exhaust it. Never exhaust it. Third and finally. Believers owe all that we are to Jesus. Gracious invitation uh, or gracious choice of us. Not our choice of Him. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit and that your fruit would abide. Jesus' pursuit of you Is why we are friends of Jesus. This does not negate the reality of a choice that we make. The the, the disciples had to to freely choose Jesus. I'm in, I'm on Jesus' team, I'm following him. But the reason they chose Jesus is because Jesus first chose them. We say it in our Discover New City class, which I just led a cohort on Friday night through the material. um, and speaking about this complex and mysterious, but it's in, in the Bible that. We we experience it by taking the first step toward Jesus. I've I've heard the gospel. I believe in Jesus. He is beautiful. I want to follow him with everything I have to the best of my ability. I'm yours, Jesus. And then the next step, Jesus moves toward us by saving us, forgiving us of our sins. We are forgiven, free, and restored. Yes and amen. And then by step three of the Christian life, we realize that it was God who took the first step all along. How does it all work? I don't know. Deuteronomy 29, 29. But we chose Jesus because he chose us, brothers and sisters. What's true of the first century disciples, that they were picked out of the world by Jesus' specific choice, that is true of you. I didn't read Colossians 1 to you. I read that to first service. I did not read what I'm about to read to them, but you do get it. The first page of the worship booklet. It's a quote from my spiritual hero, Charles Spurgeon. This is what I'm getting at. Christ loved you before all worlds. Long ere the day star flung his ray across the darkness before the wing of angel had flapped the unnavigated ether. Before aught of creation had struggled from the womb of nothingness, God, even our God, has set his heart upon all his children. Since that time, has he ever once swerved? Has he Once turned aside? Once changed? No. Ye who have tasted of His love and know His grace will bear me witness that He has been a certain friend in uncertain circumstances. You have often left Him. Has He ever left you? You have had many trials and troubles. Has He ever deserted you? Has He ever turned away His heart and shut up His bowels of compassion? No children of God, it is our solemn duty to say no and bear witness to His faithfulness. I love that. That's the friend. Jesus has befriended you and the comfort to us is that those whom Jesus befriends, He befriends forever. He's not going to lose you. He holds you. You are secure. Or in the words of the 17th century Puritan John Flavel, If God did not at first choose you because you were high, he will not now forsake you because you are low. You are secure. Jesus does not divorce his friends. Jesus has invited us into abiding in him, staying connected to Jesus who is divine so that our love will overflow and meet the needs of one another. So that our love will be expansive and we put him on display to one another and to the world. We have the privilege now of going to the table as friends because of the work of Jesus, the blood that he shed in his body broken for us. So we get to do this as a corporate meal. We are friends in this room. We are family. We can come together now because of our friend who reconciled us to himself. And I realize the words that I've I've said today are kind of challenging. Don't forget verse 5. Without Jesus, you can do nothing. But with Jesus, we can know him and love one another. So let's be reminded of that, the love that Jesus has for us as we go to the table. Jesus, thank you. Without you, we can do nothing. Be with us now as we go to the table and help us celebrate afresh and remember afresh your goodness toward us in the gospel. Amen.